Well, this morning we are continuing our August worship series on facts, or FAQS, as we explore frequently asked questions by Christians. This past spring, as I was preparing for the series, I put on Facebook, what are some of the questions you ask about your faith and about God, and got multiple responses, and out of those came up with five different areas we're going to be addressing. Last week, we talked about how can I know that I'm saved? And in the coming weeks, we'll consider questions like, do miracles still happen? And what's heaven like? But today, we're talking about God's will for our lives. Our scripture passage comes from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Listen closely for God's word. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in according with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. One day, the disciples approached Jesus with a request. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And in response, Jesus taught them what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. We recited it together just a few moments ago, and oftentimes we do it by rote and routine. But I would warn you that it is a dangerous prayer, because the first petitions include, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are putting our lives before God as a blank check and saying, You do with me what you will. And we as Christians spend a lifetime discerning and doing God's will. But how we go about doing that can sometimes seem to be a daunting task. There have been entire books, series of books, sermons, and Bible studies, all looking at the will of God. And I'm not going to cover all that in a 20-minute sermon today. But instead, I want to give an overview of what does it mean to seek God's will in our life and look at three particular ways we do so. One is through God's general or cosmic will. Secondly, God's moral or ethical will. And thirdly, what oftentimes we're looking for is God's personal or individual will for my life. Let's begin with God's general cosmic overarching will. And in order to understand this, you've got to go back to the beginning to the opening chapters of Genesis. 
where we discover an amazing fact about the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who's made everything from subatomic particles to galactic grandeur, and it's this. God wants to be in relationship with humanity. There's this wonderful image where it talks about how God, in the cool of the evening, would come and stroll through the Garden of Eden just to spend time with Adam and Eve. And in those initial moments, it's clear that what God's will was, was to be in right relationship with his creation. We all know the next part of the story. Adam and Eve, rather than saying, your will be done, say, my will be done. The center word, the center letter in pride is I. They seek themselves rather than God, and the fall occurs. Sin enters into the world. But God doesn't give up. If you've read the Hebrew Scriptures, you know over and again what it is is a story of God entering into covenant time and again with the patriarchs and matriarchs of our faith. There's a line from the original disciple Bible study I often quote that the Old Testament is this. It's a story of a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God and a covenant-making, covenant-breaking people. Last week, as we talked about the gift of salvation and the assurance of our forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Christ, we discovered that in Jesus, God has done once and for all what we cannot do for ourselves. At the cross and at the empty tomb, sin and death have been defeated and that chasm has, chasm has been bridged and we can enter into right relationship with Jesus Christ. The Common English Bible, which was written on the same level as USA Today to be more accessible to people, takes a passage we've read from and in part says, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his good will. So if you want to know the overarching cosmic general will of God, it's this. For each of us to be in right relationship with Jesus Christ, to have an assurance of our salvation, to know that our sins are forgiven and that we have everlasting life. And my guess is if you looked at the newsletter this week or at the handout when you came in today and saw we were talking about the will of God, that's not what you wanted to find out. Because most of us want to come knowing about individual, what does God want me to do with the next portion of my life? I'm getting there. Be patient. The first part is God's general or cosmic will. The second is God's moral or ethical will. How does God want me to live as a Christian in a fallen world. Well, we believe that in Jesus Christ, once we've entered into right relationship with the Lord and justification or salvation has occurred, the next step is growing in grace. And you hear me talk a lot about what Wesley called Christian perfection or sanctification, of becoming the people that God created us to be. And step by step, day by day, we're called to live holy lives. In fact, in Ephesians, it says, God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Why? To be holy and blameless in his sight. We hear Paul talk about faith all the time, and he says, works without faith is dead. But James' counterpoint to that, he talks about works and says, faith without works is dead. And they are two sides of the same coin. Yes, we need to believe and accept, but then we need to act and do. 
to act out who we are as God's people. There's a very familiar story in Mark chapter 10 where a young man approaches Jesus with a critical question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's obviously, this is a sincere request. He's seeking some knowledge of how to enter into right relationship with God. Jesus' answer is almost dismissive. He looks at him and says to him, you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And you get the strong sense the young man is extremely disappointed in the answer. He was looking for something esoteric, something in-depth, something no one else knew. And Jesus' response is basic stuff that any Jewish son or daughter that had gone to Saturday school already knew. He says, Lord, I've done all that since I was young. What if I could arrange a personal one-on-one interview between you and Jesus? And you ask the same question with one addition. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And what is your will for my life? Jesus might respond in a way similar to the way he did to the young man. He might say, you've gone to Sunday school, vacation Bible school. You've heard a sermon or two, maybe a Bible study or three. You've spent some time in prayer. You know what to do. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you get different to undoing that, come back and I'll give you some more directions. For the most part, we know what to do. There's a wonderful uh, cartoon series called Pontius Puddle. And in one uh, section, Pontius decides, I'm going to find out if God really listens to me. And so he looks up to heaven and he asks this question, Hey, God, what should I do with my life? And sure enough, a heavenly voice comes down and says, Feed the hungry. Right injustice. Work for peace. And Pontius, taken aback, goes, I was just testing. And God responds, me too. We know what to do for the most part. Just do it. Some, for some of you who are a little bit older, you may remember Charles Allen. Charles Allen was a renowned United Methodist pastor, first here in Atlanta, and then he went out to serve First United Methodist Church of Houston for years. And back in the 1980s, I was co-hosting the Mossy Creek Camp Meeting, and he preached there one week because he was actually born near Lula, Georgia. And one afternoon, there was a group of pastors sitting around him just hoping to gleam some wisdom from this highly successful pastor. And Dr. Allen got to talking about pastoral counseling. And he said, there's not much to pastoral counseling. He said, when somebody comes to my office, I do three things. He said, first of all, I ask them, what's wrong? Second, I ask them, what do you think you ought to do about that? And then third, I tell them, go do it. Over the years, I've discovered it's a little bit more complicated than that. But the vast majority of the time, we already know what to do. We just need to do it.
When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're saying the same thing in two different ways. Because when you do the one, you do the other. When you neglect the one, you neglect the other. When you don't want God's kingdom to come and you don't do God's will, hell breaks loose in our lives. And when we seek God's kingdom coming and God's will being done, then the kingdom of God itself breaks into our lives and into our world. There's a general or cosmic will of God. There's the ethical, moral will of God. But most of us, when we talk about wanting to know God's will for our lives, are talking about the personal and individual will of God. And I want to talk about that in two different ways. First of all, God created each and every one of us as unique individuals. And I do believe God has designed us for various purposes in life. That he's given you and me talents, gifts, abilities, passions, and experience nobody else has. And each of us has a unique mission and ministry that cannot be fulfilled by anyone else. That's why every member is so important to the body of Christ. If you're like me, I've been watching the Olympics over the past couple of weeks. Been very entertained and inspired by a number of the scenes. Some of the sports are very familiar to me. Others I've never heard of before. Men's team handball. I guess there are rules to that. I haven't figured it out yet, but I watched it anyway. But I was recalling a movie about the Olympics from 1981 that was entitled Chariots of Fire. You may have had the opportunity to see it before. It features Eric Little. Eric Little was a missionary to China, but he was also an athlete. And he had come back from the mission field with the intent purpose of participating in the Olympics. And he and his sister Jeannie had very different opinions about this because in her mind, God's call on his life was to go to China and preach the gospel, and this was silly stuff on the side. And there's a wonderful scene in the movie where they're having a conversation and Eric says to her, Jeannie, I believe God made me for a purpose. He made me fast, Jeannie. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Little went on to win the gold medal in the 400-meter dash in the 1924 Paris Olympics and along the way had multiple opportunities to publicly witness to his faith. Then Little went on to fulfill God's other purpose in his life, going back to preach the gospel in the mission field of China until he died in a Japanese internment camp in 1945. How has God made you? What makes you, you? Where are your gifts and abilities being used for the kingdom of God? How often do you watch the news or read the newspaper and go, somebody ought to do something about that? Where does your passion and the world's need intersect? God has made us for a purpose. And it's like any human relationship. The more time you spend with somebody, the more time you know what they think, what they're going to say, what they want you to do. As a parent, as a child, if you've been married for decades, you can probably fill in any conversation you're going to have with your spouse. The more time we spend with God through those very basics of Bible study, prayer, fellowship, communion, fasting, seeking others' counsel, praying to God to reveal God's Word in our lives, the more we understand what God wants to do with the currency of my 
life. The other way we oftentimes seek God's will is when we reach a crossroads in life. We've got to make an important decision. And we want to know what God wants us to do. And I think there are some folk out there who believe that up in heaven somewhere, there's a master book for each of our lives that lines out God's perfect will. And at every crossroads and at every fork in the road, this is what we ought to do. And I will say to you, there have been moments in my life I've experienced just that. I have prayed to God, and either from an internal assurance or through external circumstances, I believe I've done exactly what God wanted me to do. But at least for me, and maybe it's different for you, that's been more the exception than the rule. And what I've discovered over time in my life is that discerning God's will is not so much GPS turn-by-turn directions. Instead, it's more like the old traditional use of a compass in the wilderness. You know where you want to go. You've got the compass direction you need to head. But if you walk through the woods for any length of time, you know there are no straight lines. Because there are trees, and there are rocks, and there are valleys, and there are mountains, and there are deadfalls, and there are briars. But if you follow the general compass direction, you will arrive where you need to be. I read an interesting blog by a Christian author where he said, sometimes we get caught up in what business people call analysis paralysis. And he said, so much of the seek God's will teaching may well be based on insecurity and a fear of making a mistake and a desire for self-protection. He said, we erroneously believe if we had just the right divine information, we could avoid the wrong decision and any temporal consequences. Then he goes on to say, sometimes there are three basic questions we ought to ask. Is it sin? Yes or no? Does it line up with how I see God created me to be with my gifts, purpose, and ability? And third of all, is the door open? And he said, if it's not sin, and it lines up with who God created you to be, and the door is open, charge through it. And you know what will happen? Sometimes you will do exactly what God intended you to do. And sometimes we will make a mistake. But the older I get, the more I'm convinced God's much more interested in faithfulness than accuracy. And also I believe we serve a big enough God that he can take even our well-intentioned mistakes and mold them into God's greater will. Because you understand the end's not in doubt. Revelation says God wins. From the foundations of the world, God's got this. He's got your life, he's got your family's life, he's got the church, he's got the world in his hands. The end's not in doubt. And there's a wonderful line by Roman Catholic priest and sociologist Roman Greeley, Andrew Greeley, where he says this, God draws straight with crooked lines. So if you zig, God's going to zag, and we're going to end up exactly where God intended his creation to be. This morning we came praying a very dangerous prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And when we mean it, what we're saying to God is, here's my life, I don't want my will and my ambitions to be in front I want yours. I want to seek your will rather than mine. But ultimately, that dangerous prayer is a prayer that leads us to fulfillment, become the people God created us to be, to be the hands and feet of Christ. And so for each of us this day, if we want to seek God's will, part of the answer comes in the very question, 
What is God's will in my life? Because by asking the question, we focus beyond ourselves and we focused on God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that (laughs) it's amazing news. You want to be in relationship with humanity. You want to be in relationship with each of us. And Lord, along the way, as we understand salvation and receive it by your grace through faith, we discover what it means to live holy lives, righteous lives. And we occasionally fool ourselves, but most of the time we know what we ought to do and say. And we pray for the strength of the Holy Spirit to live out that in daily life. Lord, you've also created us as unique individuals. Take our gifts, our abilities, our passions, and use them for your kingdom's sake. And there may be some here today who are struggling to know how to turn, where to go, what's next. Send your spirit into their lives. First and foremost, grant them comfort and peace. Let them know that you hold them firmly in your hands. And then guide them, direct them, And Lord, when we make a mistake, correct and forgive and set our feet upon your path again. It's the name of Jesus Christ who taught us to pray that we pray. Amen.